Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this, this morning. Thank you for letting me do those, by the way. I, I really enjoy getting to do that. Um, so this Sunday is what I, I generally kind of call a flex Sunday. And what that means is I, I work through my sermon series and plan them out so in advance so I kind of know the directions. And every so often I work in a flex Sunday. That's kind of not a Sunday I, I really plan for exactly. I leave it open to do some different things. This is when I do weird stuff. So uh, if you guys will remember about a year ago, six months ago, I did a whole service where we reenacted the Lord's Supper. Happened on a flex Sunday. So that, so that is a flex Sunday. So guess what that means? We're going to do something a little weird. Bear with me. It'll be okay. We'll start out normal. Um, but, but I wanted to today kind of talk a little bit about prayer. And so we're going to talk about it. And my thought was, as we talk through prayer, usually what we do as churches is we present some model of prayer. Well, you guys maybe have heard the Acts model, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Have you guys heard that model of prayer before? Or we'll do some other sort of model. We'll use the Lord's, the Lord's prayer as a model. And they'll be like, okay, church, that's how we should pray. Go do it. And everyone's like, yeah, we'll definitely go do that. And you wake up on Monday mornings and you left your notes in your Bible in your car. And you're like, ah, it's kind of cold outside. And I'll do it tomorrow morning. And anybody been in this pattern of you talk about it on Sunday and you don't do it on Monday. And I'm not like throwing that out as a critique. I'm throwing that out because that's in my own life and that's things that I do. And, and like it is my job to pray and yet I still miss the mark. And so I thought, well, why, why would we sit around and say, here's what we do, now go do it tomorrow, when we could say, here's what we do, let's, let's do it right now. And so we're going to talk about prayer a little bit and just take 10, 15, 20 minutes and go through Nehemiah and talk about prayer. And then we're just going to give you guys a chance right here in this service to, to spend some time praying to God um, because I think that's what God would call us as a church to do. So there's your kind of outline for, for what we're going to do. We're going to kick off in Nehemiah chapter 1 when I was in high school. Um, many of you know this, I ran cross country. Wasn't ever good at it, but I, I tried. Um, I didn't really even try that hard, to be honest. I would like run to the park and sit on a bench for an hour and then run back to school. But even then, I, I ran cross country. And so like end of my freshman year, getting ready for my sophomore year, uh, we were doing summer practices. And I started like having these really bad leg cramps. And I did what any, uh, you know, like 16-year-old, excuse me, again, I have allergies. <clears throat> what any 16-year-old uh, boy does when something bothers him, I went and whined to my mother. That's just that's what you do, right? So, Mom, my legs hurt so bad when I run, I'm getting cramps, I don't like it. And then my mom does what every parent does when their child complains to them. She went to the coach and said, hey, Coach Ingle, uh, Philip's complaining that he's cramping, like, what do you, what do you have for that? And my coach, give it to him, well, tell him, tell him to eat some bananas, man, like, get some potassium in his system, like, that, that should help, so have some bananas. So my mom comes back to me, Philip Coach said you should eat bananas, and I said, I don't like bananas, they don't taste good. So we did this whole thing again, and she went back to the coach, and the coach, tell him to, like, blend it up in a smoothie, I, you know, he'll be fine. And so she came back and said, well, hey, Philip, I got a blender. We'll make smoothies. I was like, I don't like smoothies. And finally she went back to my coach, and she's like, he doesn't like bananas or smoothies. Do you have anything else? And why this interaction didn't go on between me and my coach, I don't know. That's just things that happen in, like, high school. If you're a teacher, you're aware of this type of stuff. I'm like, why did you go tell your parent and not just talk to me about that? But anyways, um, so she went back, and she tells my coach this, and my coach says, well, it sounds to me like Philip's just whining to his mama. And that was it. That was the end of it. No, it was no more. And uh, it's one of those situations, right, where in my little 16-year-old brain, and I'm not saying all 16-year-olds have little brains. I just particularly had a little brain at 16. Uh, in my little 16-year-old brain, um, 
like the, the problem that I was facing was not worth the solution of eating a banana. So how severe was my problem? Not, not very severe, right? Or at least my comfort was not, uh, you know, lacking enough that would drive me to like do something like eat, eat a banana. And you guys ever do something like that where you encounter a problem, but the, the solution in itself just kind of seems too strenuous? So you just don't like it. So you, you sit back and you complain about the problem, but don't do anything about it. You guys, anyone else do, do this in life? Because I do, still to this day. You're like, oh, I need to do something to the yard, but that means I have to go to the store and buy something. So I'll just sit at the house and complain that I need to do stuff today. Like, does he, you guys do this. Where the problem you face doesn't really outweigh the solution, and so you just sit in the problem in, instead. Like, oh, I'm, I'm out of shape. And it's like, ah, oh, you should exercise. Ah, oh, I don't want to exercise. And it's like, okay, you know, there it is. Like, that, you got it, so don't worry about it from, from there. And I think, in a way, this is kind of how we treat prayer when it comes to our own Christian walks. Like, I was originally this week just thinking, I'll just preach a generalized sermon over, over prayer. But thinking about that, like, I don't know how many of you would come in here and I would preach this sermon over prayer and you would be like, oh yeah, I totally didn't know I was supposed to pray. I should do that and then leave. Like, if you grew up in church, if you are familiar with this world at all, Prayer is a pretty standard thing, and all of you would probably say, like, yeah, prayer is important in my life. And yet at the same time, I, I could take that over to this side and say, how, how many of you, like, how many of you would just say, like, I am killing it in the prayer department right now. Like, I am borderline annoying God with how much I pray. Obviously, that's not possible, but, like, maybe, like, two of you, right? Because if you're anything like me, there, there's never a day that I end it and think, like, I really wish I would have prayed less today. And yet at the same time, uh, over and over again, I know I should pray, I know it's significant, I know it's an important part of my walk with Christ, and I just struggle to do it. And so what I want to talk about today is getting into this idea of like, why, why do we pray? It's like every runner knows if you have cramps, eat bananas. Every person knows if you're out of shape, you, you go and exercise. Every Christian knows if you need and want a stronger relationship with God, you pray. And yet we fail to do it. And I would argue that I think the problem generally is not ignorance as to what is the solution. It's that we're not fully convinced that the solution is better than the problem. We're comfortable enough. We have just enough money. I was listening to a sermon about this this week. And um, the pastor was saying, you know, money does the same thing prayer can do. It just, in our minds, does it more efficiently and quicker. So rather than pray for something, I just want to get the money for that thing. And we just totally miss out on this relationship of what God is calling us to do and who God's calling us to be. And I can tell you that the problem is busyness or distraction. The problem is that life is just so chaotic right now. Because the other thing that I'll do is, is I really kind of like guilt myself into, I need to pray more. And so I'll set a little time of prayer out in my schedule. And I'll sit down and I'll pray over every single thing I know to pray about. Like from, from President Biden to the war in Russia and Ukraine to the, the stuff that Haley and I are going through in the adoption process. And I'm just like rapid fire praying everything I know to pray about. And it feels like my brain's running a million miles an hour. And I look up and it's been three minutes. And I'm like, what, what next? Do, do you guys have similar situations to this? Because this is how I feel every day when I'm, when I'm dealing with this type of thing. But I would argue that the problem is really not the busyness. The problems that we face as individuals, as families, as churches, as, as a community is really dedicated to sin. We talked about this in detail last week. 
And it's that sin that's going to continually drive us into devastation and, and brokenness. And what is the only solution to that sin? It's God. And how do we connect with and communicate with God? It's, it's prayer. So it's with that in mind, uh, I want to take you to Nehemiah. Let me set up a quick context for you and we'll, we'll dive into this. Nehemiah is exiled under the Persians. In fact, Israel has been exiled now for nearly 300 years. Israel was taken over by Assyria. So exile has become a normal part of life. In fact, it's become so normal that, that it's absolutely reasonable that even these exiled uh, Israelites can find themselves in positions of power within um, their exiled communities. So even in Persia, um, ne- uh, Nehemiah finds himself as the cupbearer to the king. He, he is high kind of class in some ways. He's a servant directly to King Artaxerxes of, of Persia. And over the last hundred years or so, there's been significant movements in trying to come and start rebuilding um, the capital, the, the city of Israel, Jerusalem. And so about 100 years ago prior to this, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel goes in and he rebuilds the temple. And then Ezra is going to go in and he's going to rebuild some of the stuff. And the problem is, as they're rebuilding, nothing is still restored to its former glory. It's not, it's not the same. And so Nehemiah's brother comes back from one of these kind of um, trips to go visit Jerusalem and see what it's looking like. And he comes back and reports and says, The town, you know, the temple's there, but the walls are still destroyed. Everything is still kind of in ruin. He reports that that the city is just as broken as it's ever been. And so Nehemiah hears of Jerusalem's brokenness, and and what does he do? Nehemiah chapter 1. During the month of Shizlif, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And they said to me, the remnant in the providence who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned. And what does Nehemiah do? Verse 4. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before God of the heavens. And I said, Lord, the God of the heavens is great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night. For your servants, the Israelites, I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the command or statutes and ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded to your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I choose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant so that your servant who delights and reveres in your name, give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. And at that time, I was the king's cupbearer. Here's here's what I want to do. And I don't really like to take the Old Testament and, and pull metaphors out of it. You know, you've, everyone's kind of heard the sermon of like, let's talk about David and Goliath. Now, what are your five smooth stones to slay your giant? And it's like, man, that's, that's not what that story is about. That's about one guy being raised up to defeat an undefeatable opponent while the rest of us stand on the sidelines. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. But what I want to do today is kind of consider 
Maybe somewhat in a metaphorical way, what is Nehemiah's response to his city? And, and tie that to Portalis and ask ourselves, what is our response as individuals at this First Baptist Church of Portalis? What is our response to this community, this, this county, this town? And while we may not be struggling with a semi-abandoned, conquered city with a broken wall, I think almost all of us would agree that we're still struggling with a broken town and a broken community. In fact, I, I would just... Uh, this is kind of where I break from sermon traditional norms, and I'm going to do like a PowerPoint presentation because I want to point out some things to you. Um, so, so we as a church are a part of the Chamber of Commerce. We, play, we pay a small fee every year to be a part of this Chamber of Commerce. And recently, the Chamber of Commerce in Portales hired out a, a firm out of Alabama to come in and do like a study through Portales' downtown area, a study of Portales' demographics, and try to figure out like what are the businesses and things Portales needs to, to grow. And so they did this huge, extensive presentation and had the chance to set in and kind of watch that to learn. And so I want to show you just a couple data points from their presentation. This first one is, is just a bar graph about the age of Portales. So I know those, those numbers are kind of small up there. Uh, obviously, you'll notice that 18 to 22 range, that's the tallest bar. That makes sense? Do you want to know why 18 to 22 being the highest number makes sense in our town? We have a college campus. Pretty easy to determine that. But if you take those next two behind that, the, the nine, 5 to 9 and 10 to 15, and the 15 to 18, what you'll find is there is a significant portion of our population that are children. You combine all three of those together, guess what that one becomes? The tallest bar of, of them all. And then you'll notice that it starts going down between 23 and 25. College students don't tend to love sticking around in Portales once they graduate. Um, but for some reason, once you get into the 26 to 35, 36 to 40 range, you start seeing an uptick in population. And here's, here's why I point all of this out. If you were to take the, the entire population of Roosevelt County and throw it into a bag and do some statistics where you randomly go in and select a person out, what are you most likely to draw out? You're most likely to either draw out a child or the parent of one of those children. That is just the, the vast majority of Portales. This is our community around us. So they even went in and did an average statistic of the age. That's the next slide, Kelsey. I told you it'd be like a PowerPoint presentation right here. So the average age for men in, in Portales, Roosevelt County is 35. The average age for women is 37. That's scientific, right? Because women tend to live longer than men do. So they pull that number up a little bit. But the average age in Portales is 35 to 37. And I, and I present all of this to you just because what I want to do is go in and do a little bit of study. And this is what I've done this week over um, some particular statistics relating to children and young families. Um, and this is the part where, just so you know, like I intentionally have selected some hard things. Uh, there are great things about our community, and, and I love them, and those are worth celebrating but I want to take a few minutes and just point out some brokenness to you, okay? So this is taken, this next set of slides is taken from the Department of Health in 2017. Um, I have the links to this. If you're interested, email me. I'll send you the, the statistics. I didn't just make this up. But this is coming from the New Mexico Department of Health. And these are statistics over child abuse and neglect at a rate of abuse victims per 1,000 in, in Roosevelt County. So Roosevelt County's is about 25 kids out of 1,000 deal with abuse and neglect. And, you know, you think 25, that's, that's not horrible, and, and it is, but at the same time, if you look at the New Mexico state average, we are almost 10 points above the state average. Roosevelt County is one of the most dangerous places in the state to grow up as a child. We are marked by the state as a reason for concern in this area. Um, why, why is that? You know, why, why are we dealing with, with that? And all this is usually evidence because you have lots of children and parents and 
They're trying to figure out how do they interact with these kids, and maybe it's out of ignorance, maybe malice, maybe a cycle of their own life of, of how their parents treated them. But nonetheless, the number of child abuse in Roosevelt County is significantly higher than the rest of the state. Go to the next slide, Kelsey. This is the, the mental health. So uh, in 2017, the state did a poll of high school students where they asked them if they were feeling sad or hopeless. And I understand that there's, there's a spectrum there, and I get that, but this is still a number. 40.8% of middle and high school students in Roosevelt County answered that they had, within the last month, at some point felt sad or hopeless. Like just this overwhelming sense. Nearly half of our high school students have felt hopeless um, within the last month of, of their life. And you compare that to New Mexico, it's about 35% in New Mexico, only 31%. So Roosevelt County as a whole, the high school population, middle school population, is about 10% dealing with deeper feelings of hopelessness and sadness than the average. Again, we're marked in this reason for concern in this area as well. Um, and, and I'm not saying these two things are tied together, but here, here's the next one. This is dealing with poverty among children five, five and younger. Um, that we in, in our community have one of the highest rates of child poverty, five and under, in Roosevelt County. In fact, 47.6% of children under the age of five live underneath the national poverty average in, in Roosevelt County. It means every other kid you see in Walmart is living in a family that they're not so sure where they're going to get enough money to buy their food next week. Were you guys aware of this? Because I think in my own mind, we, we sat in our church in our four walls, and we have our lives and, and our affluence and our houses, and if I were honest with you, I missed this until I sat down this week and started looking into it. And yet it's right here in our own backyards. It's, it's in our face. You don't have to go overseas to find people in need. They're right here in Roosevelt County. And I don't say that to say let's not worry about the people overseas. We should. But to say that this is right here, let me give you a couple more statistics. According to uh, U.S. data, 24.9% of, in the entirety of Roosevelt County, lives below the national poverty line, which is twice the national average. Uh, that, that puts about one in four people. So if Roosevelt County has about 17,800 people, that means 4,400 people live paycheck to paycheck, wondering if they're going to be able to pay their, their bills. And this is something, excuse me. <clears throat> This is something that we, we feel as a church because um, if you talk to Miss Marion, I, I would wager to say about 40% of the calls we get as, as a church is someone calling and asking for help. Just constantly, uh, multiple a day. We need help paying our electricity. Our water's going to be shut off. And this is the town we live in, guys. This is our home. This is what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And while I'm highlighting all of this, I'll just give you this last one. This is from a website called Housing Snacks, which is a weird website, but it's supposed to like, give you the information of a county or area in like a bite-sized portion is the idea. Um, so currently, uh, Portales, Roosevelt County, is about 31% above the national average for crime rate statistics. We're ranked 45 out of 60 in New Mexico, and uh, out of the towns that this, this kind of corporation went in and studied, uh, 7,288 out of 9,000 or so. So higher crime rate than normal. Why am I pointing all of this out to you? Why, why, I, Philip, thank you. I've had such a great time at church today. I can't wait to go home and pin this on my refrigerator, right? Thank you for the motivational quotes. Why am I pointing all, all of this out to you? Honestly, there's so many great things about Portalis. But I wanted to see if in some ways I could kind of drive home to you the same response that Nehemiah had some 2,500 years ago. 
where you get this report and you look around and you realize the city that I love is broken beyond what I ever imagined. This, this place that I call home, be it temporary or permanently, is damaged. And as we start to realize that, we can point fingers and we can blame politicians and leaderships and we can fault it to drugs or lack of financial resources in a dusty little desert town. But the reality is, all of this traces back to the chief cause of suffering in the world and we call that sin. And while many of us live affluent, comfortable lives, one in out of every four people you encounter at Walmart are wondering if they're going to even be able to afford what they're purchasing. When we put on smiles and give hugs and handshakes, nearly half of Portales High School is struggling with feeling hopeless. And it all stems from sin. The question is, so, so what do we do about that? And if you're like me, like that average American, you're like, you go into get stuff done mode. Like, what do we do? Let's put together a project plan. Let's, let's get to action. Let's petition the school board for more counselors. Let's support the ministerial alliance so that more bills can get paid. Let's go help with Calvary Baptist and their food distribution. And all of those things are wonderful things to do, like, like participate in stuff like that. And none of them will fix the problem. None of those things on their own are the solution to this issue. So what do we do? And to answer that, I would say, what does Nehemiah do? He prays. And the rest of the book is going to be dedicated to what he does after this time of prayer. But he starts right here with prayer. He recognizes that he and himself is powerless to deal with the brokenness of the city, and it leads him to an outpouring of himself before God. And so there's six kind of key things I think about Nehemiah's prayer, and I'm going to go through these really quick, and then we're going to do them, okay? So we start off in verse 4 as, as Nehemiah gets the, the report, and he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days fasting and praying. And I think it's this idea that Nehemiah, Nehemiah finally sees like God sees. He realizes the, the lost potential of Jerusalem, that this was supposed to be what Jerusalem translates to, city of peace, a city on a hill, the thing that's making a difference in the world, and it's just catastrophically failed in its own sin. And as he begins to see the brokenness, he, he gets a glimpse of how God sees Jerusalem, and it drives him to his knees in prayer. As he begins to see Jerusalem as God sees, he cries out to God in this just full recognition of God's prayer in verse 5. Lord God of heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant. In some ways, we call this worship. It, it's the act of recognizing God as he is, the only one capable, uh, the only one worthy, the only one holy, the only one who is able to deal with the brokenness of sin, which brings him to his own brokenness. So he confesses his own sin and cries out, We have acted corruptly, verse 7, toward you and have not kept the commands and statutes. Nehemiah recognizes that he's just as much a part of the problem. I have contributed to the brokenness in my own sin. I have also messed this whole thing up. But then he recalls God's promise. So he confesses his own brokenness, three, and then four, he recalls God's promise to Moses. So he quotes back and remembers what God promised, that, that God would be faithful if the people would repent and come back. For him, it's just a particular promise, but it's one that apparently had sat within his heart, and he draws upon it as a reminder of who God is. And only then does he finally say, God, now, now let me join in with you. He asks, his God, he asks God to join in. So he says, make your servant successful. That's not a cry about, God, let me be a millionaire and rich and make me super successful in my, like, no. He's saying, God, use me 
to fix this problem. Let me be a part of the solution. God, make your servant successful. And then finally, in, in the last verse here, in verse 11, he, he just says, God, go before me. God, start to soften the heart of the king so that when I go and ask him, he will already be receptive to all of this. This is what Nehemiah does. He recognizes the brokenness of his own community. He goes to God in, in prayer. And it's a wonderful thing to hear about this. But if we leave from here with no real desire to pray like Nehemiah prayed, no real heart broken to the state of portalis, then, then really I'm wasting your time and, and you're wasting your time being here. But I don't believe that's the case. So here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to do just something a little bit different. We're going to take time and just pray through these six prayer focuses. I'm not going to do any music. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm just going to give you a few seconds to just pray this in your own way. In the back of your bulletin, you'll find this prayer guide. I even have some little guided prayers. You don't have to quote those prayers. That's just something to kind of get you started if you want. And we're just going to take some time. I'll introduce it. We'll talk just really quickly, give you a few seconds to just kind of pray in silence. Then I'll have someone come up and lead us in closing out that prayer, and we'll move on to the next one. Make sense? Okay. So here's where we begin. We want to see Portalis as God sees Portalis. Until we begin to see Portalis the way God sees it. Until we to be broken, begin to be broken over the turmoil caused by sin in this world, we will never find ourselves prompted to move. We're like the cross-country runner that says, I'm cramping, but I don't like bananas. We have to begin to see as, as God sees Portalis. Discomfort is an indicator that something needs to change. So what we're essentially saying is, God, make us uncomfortable. I'm going to invite you to pray that with me. We'll take a few seconds, and then Kate will close us out. Father God, today we ask you to help us to see Portalis and the people of Portalis as you see them. Help us to have compassion and care as we represent Christ in this community in town. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kate. Next thing we want to do is recognize God's position. We cannot contribute anything to the solution of this town. We and ourselves are broken and trapped. The only person that can bring Forgiveness and salvation and hope is God. And so we just want to reflect on his magnitude, his glory, his, his just sheer size and give him the credit that's due, that he is the awe-inspiring God, as Nehemiah says. So let's worship God in prayer. Lord, my Father, your word declares that you are the one and only powerful 
and we know that your wonderful power is more than we can understand. You alone are the one that is able to kill the blind and the ill and to, to calm those raging storms. Lord, we just pray that you use your power to heal the brokenness, the devastation, the destruction of not only our community, but our world. Amen. We always have to remember that as powerful, as wonderful as God is, we are a part of the problem, that we in our sin have contributed to the brokenness of this town. The things we've said and, and the things we've done have created hopelessness and brokenness. And so we just want to bring that to God, and he knows. He's not surprised by any of it, but it's for our own good that we would confess this to God. First John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So take some time and confess to God your brokenness. Amen. When Brother Phil asked me to do this, there was a something in the back of my brain that kept bobbling up and down. Uh, something that I had read uh, years and years ago, I suppose. And so I looked it up, and it was this statement here. Oh, the gift that God could give us to see ourselves as others see us. And that was by a Scottish poet that somewhere I'd read back years ago, I guess. But I'd like to change that just a little bit. Oh, the gift that God could give us to see ourselves as you see us. And that's where it really comes home to us and to my responsibility I've lived in this community since 1971, and maybe I've been running with the wrong crowds because uh, what Brother Phil has uh, shown to us here hurts. And it reminds me of Nehemiah's heartbreaking experience that he saw his own city destroyed. And this is my city, and this is your city, and I pray that we shall take it very seriously, seriously, maybe to do something better here, because as I said, I've been running with the wrong crowds. They don't look like they need anything. They don't act like they do, and they probably don't. But there are other people in this city that really do need us. So I'll close with this uh, little bit that Phil provided for me. 
I'm going to put it in the plural, though. God, while it's easy to point fingers at others for the brokenness of Portalis, we know that we have also contributed. Please forgive us for our part in this mess. Amen. Thank you. And next we move on to number four. It's remembering God's promise. The Bible's filled with so many promises from God. It's filled with the good things that God's given to us. And, and there's probably promises that you already hold on to. God will never leave or forsake us. Uh, there are multiple things. But we're going to do what, what Nehemiah did right here. And we're going to call back to God some of his promises. The one I'm particularly reminded of is in 2 Timothy where Paul says God desires that everyone would be saved. There's not a single person in this town that God's like, ah, I think I'm done with you. If they're still breathing, he wants them. So we're going to call back those promises to God in prayer. Let's pray. God, you know that you love these people in this town. And God, your word says that if you openly de declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So, God, I just pray over Bertalis that you would use us so that we can see people openly declaring their faith in you and believing in you and that you would make this town and this area and this state by proxy this country and the world new. Help us start here. Amen. And then at five, we finally, at this point, start getting into the saying, God, use us. Bring us to a point where, where we can just be used. Let us join in with what you're doing in this town. Because believe me, if we pray these prayers in faith, God, we want to see action. We want to see life. We want to see you restore. God's going to be ready to do it. But we better ask him if we can join in with him with that. Let's take a few mo moments and just ask God to let us join in. God, we desperately want to see revival in Portalis, but we don't want to settle for sitting on the sidelines. Use us to reach this town, to bring hope and restoration. Help us to be consistently ready and available. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if God's going to use us, we can trust that God will go before us. Already be working in the hearts of those we encounter, be it at restaurants or Walmart or neighbors. 
Let's ask him to do that, to move in front of us and to make the way so that he gets all the glory for it and we get to follow him. And this is how we'll close this out and then we'll do a song after this. Lord God, we do ask that uh, you go before us and prepare the, our friends, family, people we work with, people we encounter out there in the community to um, be able to see who we are when we go out there and ask your spirit to just work, them and work in them and open their eyes to who we are. We ask your spirit to be in us so that when we are out there, and speak, share our lives, experiences about you, that, um, that they're seeing you and not just our human selves. Um, ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we're going to go into, I, I guess I would call it like a free-for-all time of prayer, which I, really that's what an invitation is, right? Saying, hey, maybe you got something on your minds. Maybe you've looked at this and said, I don't, Philip, I don't need to see, to see statistics about the brokenness of Portalis. It's right here in my own life. And to that, I would just say, God has come to heal brokenness. That's the story of the cross. That he came and lived a perfect life and subjected himself to die in our place, to suffer on our behalf, that we might be redeemed in his name. And so we're going to have a time just of worship and reflection, and maybe you need to come up and pray about something. Maybe you're needing to deal with that brokenness in your own, and you've never come to Christ. I'd love to talk with you about it. This is the chance to close this thing out in prayer as we trust God to do what only God can do.